Unfortunately, the recording of this message misses the beginning. We are looking at the Lord's Prayer, and in particular at that doxology typically applied to the end, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Open your Bibles where you had your thumb, and have a look for that. I'm not trying to trick you, I'm not trying to, like, you know, I, I hate that when lecturers or things, they, they say, oh, try this, and it, it's supposed to trip you up. This isn't supposed to trip you up, I just want you to notice something here. Is it, has anyone found it? Has anyone found that in their Bible? Where is it? Is it at the bottom? Yeah, it's a, it's a little footnote at the bottom. So if you have it in your Bible, it will be a footnote. It's an afterthought. It's, it's like, it's an addition. Because it's, it's not actually contained in Luke at all, in his Gospel. And even the earliest manuscripts of the book of Matthew did not have, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's not there. It was added in something like the ninth century. 900 years! 900 years have passed since Matthew wrote his gospel, recounting what Jesus had said. And 900 years later, there's an addition. That's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we all resonate with this. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. But here's the problem. Quite often, we will take a spiritual principle or instruction and we'll add to it. You don't need to add anything to Jesus. You don't need to add anything to God. You don't need to. He is all sufficient. He is enough. But that doesn't mean that it is wrong or unbiblical in this case. It just isn't part of the prayer that Jesus gave. Relax, okay? (laughs) This isn't the same as adding something new. Some of you scholars will be thinking that in Revelation it talks warnings against those who would add or take away anything from this book. This, this is actually, this is in the Bible, okay? This is in the Bible and it's here. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, You are exalted as head over all. Do you see the similarity? So what we're doing, we're not adding something that's never been there, that was never intended to be there. What we're doing is we're just moving this and saying, that fits really well. Does anyone recognise this person? I recognise this person, and I think it looks like... Later on, when Andrew comes back up here to play the cajon, just get him to do a kind of pose. And you'll see, especially if he loses this part of his beard and just has a handlebar, I'm sure that's Andrew Watt. Um, Does anyone know what this guy did? Not Andrew Watt, this is not Andrew Watt, okay? This guy is a guy called Morgan Spurlock. You can't make it up. His name is Morgan Spurlock. Uh, And anyone know what he was famous for? Okay. I'm not going to keep you hanging. In 2004, he was in this documentary called Super Size Me. This is no reflection on Andrew Watt. Just hasten to add. (laughs) The documentary followed uh, followed him around for a 30-day period in which he had to eat at McDonald's, only McDonald's, nothing but McDonald's, for 30 days, three meals a day. And in addition to that, if they said, would you like to supersize that meal? 
He had to say yes. He had to eat everything and drink everything. Have you ever seen an American supersized McDonald's? The, the Coke alone is the size of my head. It's incredible. Now, needless to say, that the effect of this diet, just over 30 days, on his body and on his state of being in his mind was horrendous. Okay? After 30 days, he gained 11 kilograms. 11. 11 bags of sugar. That is, that's weight gain. He increased his body mass by 13%. He had fat accumulating in his liver. And he experienced mood swings, depression, and other types of dysfunction. It took him a year to get over this, using a specially designed diet by a particular nutritionist, just to lose the extra weight and get back to the health that he was at at the beginning of the experiment. Now, I like McDonald's. <laughs> I really do. Any excuse. I'm not kidding you. If, if I go on any car journey, every time Jess says, can we stop, I need the bathroom, I'm like, yep, there's a McDonald's here, we'll stop here. If there's no McDonald's, hold it, love. <laughs> We're going to wait. <laughs> We're going to get a McDonald's. Burger King, don't want to know. All right, it's a McDonald's all the way. I love McDonald's. I love the flavour. I love the, the, the speed. No hanging about. You just go, you order it, five minutes at most, and it comes out, and it's in your hand, and you start eating it. There's no mess, because there's no things to wash up afterwards anyway. As long as you've got a napkin to wipe your hands and face, you're okay. You don't have to stand at the sink for hours. You don't have to load the dishwasher, which, according to Rosie, I don't do anyway. I just leave it (laughs) on the top. Okay? But here's the problem, and it's a spiritual problem as well. Food isn't all about the taste. It's not all about the experience, the speed. It's about the nutrition. It's about the substance. It's about the repeated infilling. Okay? Spiritually, there are things that taste good. And they are good. Spiritually, there are things that are speedy, quick wins. You feel great. You get to the heart quickly. But what we need is substance. What we need is nutrition, spiritually. But it also goes the other way too. Food without joy and without flavour is heartless and dull. I'm speaking to all of you special K nutcases out there. You know what I'm saying? If you are so diet-minded that you're eating cardboard, you know, there's no joy in that. Part of food is to actually help our minds, to help us enjoy life, to to help joy. It's no wonder that this guy who went on this diet had mental health issues following it. He suffered with depression following it. Food impacts the way we see the world and the way we perceive ourselves. But it can go both ways. But equally, if it's all about joy, if it's all about flavour then we're lacking the substance needed for spiritual good health. It's not just there to help us grow healthy. It's also important for our mental well-being. Just remember that. A strict diet can be every bit as damaging. There's no diet whatsoever and just eat what the heck you like. I like a seafood diet, a seafood, and I eat it. It's simple. So let's go back to that 
postscript. Uh, but let's look at what Matthew provides us. And his postscript is actually about fasting. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we've just heard Jesus say, give us this day our daily prayer. And the next thing that Jesus says after this prayer is about fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. I've not seen that in Western society, I've got to be honest. You know, I'm not going to scratch my face because I'm fasting to show you. But they were making a big deal of it. They were making it known, I'm fasting. How spiritual am I? How holy I am. I am fasting. Everybody please know, I am fasting. And actually Jesus has already criticised this attitude. He's criticised it with giving. Look at how generous I am. I'm going to give you this, Ian. I'm not giving you anything, sorry. Just a <laughs> disclaimer there. Or I'm praying. Look at how holy I am by how well I pray. My voice will change. And I will say thee. And I will say thou. And I will pray in a special way that will make you all think I'm supremely holy. Jesus has just rolled a 10-pin bowling ball over all of that stuff. When you fast, put oil on your head. There's no actual requirement in Scripture for that, by the way. Do not go putting oil on your head. What it was doing is saying, what Jesus is saying is, wash your face, be normal, do what you'd normally do. When you fast, don't draw attention to yourself. When you pray, don't draw attention to yourself. When you give, don't draw attention to yourself. But equally... Equally, don't go out of your way to make sure that nobody notices. Like, it's all cloak and dagger, and then suddenly I I need to put this in the offering, but how do I do that without everyone seeing me? Don't worry. Just do it for the right reasons, because you love Jesus. So Jesus launches from prayer into a chastisement about the way that people are doing things. Something useful can become burdensome to us. Something that God has instituted can be twisted and become something that is burdensome. And the thing becomes more important than the one who put it in place in the first place. We can do that all over the place. We can do it with fasting. We can do it with praying. We can do it with communion. We can do it with baptising people. We can do it with anything that is given of heaven as a way for us to behave. We can take that. Our devotional times, the time where we take time every day to sit And be in front of the Lord and speak to him. Whether that's ten minutes or it's ten hours. Whatever it is. We can make that something that is more important to us than the presence of God himself. Mm. Let's look at another example in Matthew 11 and 12. And I'm going to read from Matthew 11, 28. And if if you want to go there, go there. If not, just trust me that I'm going to be reading this from real scripture. And from Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he goes on to say this, At that time... Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read 
what David did when he and his companions were hungry. He entered into the house of God, into the temple, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. He goes on to say that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. That's the heart of God. Sacrifice was required. Sacrifice was paid. So from you, what does he want from you? Mercy. Don't put restrictions on people. Don't put conditions on them coming to the Lord, coming to church. Because there's one greater. Even, even church itself, there's one greater. If what we do becomes all about this, we've lost it. Do you understand what I'm saying? If what we do becomes all about the method in which we do it, we've lost it. We've lost it and we need to repent and we need to fall on our knees before Jesus and allow him to lead us back to where he is our first love. That was his criticism of the Ephesian church. Because they were a good church, they were doing things right. But he said, this I have against you, you've forgotten your first love. How tragic would it be if we, as a body of believers, lost sight of our first love? He is more important than anything that we can bring in this place. He's more important than any song, any instrument. He's more important than any of this, even though this is about him. He is more important. Baptism is important, but he is more important. If we never had a place to baptise people in life again, if we never had free water to use to baptise people, he's still enough. And we'll figure out another way of doing it. He is more. He is more. He is more. He's more than what you bring to the table. He's more. He's more. And it's crazy that Jesus, the King of Kings, declares that his burden is light. And yet we seem to imagine all these rules and laborious regulations. Let me tell you this. God does not fill your life and your existence with rules and regulations that constrict you and throttle you. He does not weigh you down. He does not aim to squash you under a burden and tie you up in red tape. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but there are rules. There are rules, but they're like gravity. The rule that if I step off here, I end up down here. That's a rule. I can't really say much about that. I might be able to design ways to, to prolong my time in the air. But ultimately, even Eddie, who's a flyboy, will come down at some point. He has to. Hopefully. <laughs> there are rules, like laws of diet and nutrition. If I want a buff, healthy body, the rule is... It's not that somebody's constricting me or trying to weigh me down. The rule is, if I want to have a buff body, look like I'm ready for the beach, 
I need to eat well and I need to exercise. It's simple. I can't just lie in my bed and go, oh Lord, make me like a 30-year-old all over again. <laughs> Give me back my six-pack that I never had in the first place. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. God's not going to do that. Because the rule is, if I want to be healthy, I need to eat healthy and I need to live healthy. It's exactly the same spiritually. There are rules. But there is one who is greater than the rule. There is one who is greater than the rule of gravity. Because one day, we will be called up into the air. And then gravity... Who cares about gravity when the king comes back and goes, Come, come. That's it. Gravity, as a rule, is a dead rule. Because there's one greater than the rule. But we get this wrong and we make it legalistic. So the burden becomes heavy on our shoulders. These things like giving, praying, fasting, observing the Sabbath... They were supposed to be food for life. They were supposed to be easy yoke. They were supposed to be light burden. And we make out that they're a stick to beat ourselves and each other with. Practices to observe so that we can get a heavenly pat on the head. If you've ever done that, you've gone about it the wrong way. And I say that with love. I say that with love. And the church through history, you look at church history... And through history, again and again and again, we've taken these things that are meant to breathe life and we've made them punishments that feel like death. If you see me in a shop on a Sunday, don't be surprised. (laughs) Okay? Don't be surprised. But here's the thing, Sunday's not a day off for me anyway. How can Sunday be a Sabbath for me? The whole purpose of Sabbath is to say rest. Spend time with your father. Mm-hmm. Have some family time. That's the purpose of Sabbath. But I'm busier on a Sabbath day than I am on any other day of the week. So my Sabbath, I have to work that in. And I'll be honest, I don't do this very well. Because even when I know Jess is off, I plan to have my day off. I'll still get up. And after I've done my quiet time, look how holy I am. Yeah, after I've done my quiet time, I'll go into Oh, I'll just send this email. Well, I'll just do this little, these few bits and pieces. I am bad at observing, observing the Sabbath. I am bad at it. And yet I feel no condemnation. I feel no weight from God pressing down on me. But I do hear him say, hey, Tom, take a break. I do hear that. I do hear that. Because the principle, the rule, is there for life. And not to hinder. If you've lived a Christian life where you've hindered yourself or others, repent today. And even that repentance, that word repentance, don't be scared of it. I'm not putting a heavy rule on you now, but like gravity, you need to come to the Lord and repent because that is not being lifted off your shoulders until you say, God, I'm sorry for the way that I have behaved towards myself and towards other people. I'm sorry for the weight that I've placed on my shoulders someone else's shoulders. You feel when you do that. You feel how light it becomes and how quickly it becomes lightness to you. One greater is here. One who is greater. The purpose of fasting is to lead yourself into the presence of God. To state in your own head there's nothing more important to me than the presence and my relationship with God. That's why we That's why we fast. 
It's not chastising yourself, it's not whipping yourself on the back to punish yourself. It's to say, I am going to show that I can take authority over my stomach to give glory to the king. That's why we fast. The purpose of Sabbath is to lead you into God's presence, to rest, to be still, to know that he is God. And it's hard to achieve that when you're so busy doing that you forget your being. If you want to press into Jesus, if you want to experience his fullness, if you want to know abundant life, because we talk about it, and let's be honest here, how many of you can honestly pop your hand up and say, from the day I accepted Christ to now, I feel that all of my life has been abundance. But if you want that, it's not found in doing things properly for God. It's found in his presence. It's found in pushing into who he is. It's found in pushing through that cotton wool that seems to surround all of our praying and all of our thinking towards God. Have you ever noticed how if you decide to sit down and pray, everything else will come into your mind? You'll have a thousand things that seem to be pressing and important. I encourage you, push through that. Not legalistically, not beating yourself up, not, not chastising yourself if you fail, but keep going, keep going, keep pushing. Because when you get through that cotton wool, that's where the presence of God is. And that's where your life is radically changed. Fast, pray, take communion, be baptised, serve, give, rest. But don't do it because it's a membership requirement. But because you will find that life beyond that is better than you thought possible. Even in the storm, even in the shadow of great loss, he will give. He will take away. Do these things and teach your heart to say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. You press in. Lead yourself. You can't be led if you can't lead yourself. You can't be waiting for a leader to come along and say, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to lead yourself. And you have everything that you need in order to do that. Everything, everything, everything is in your hands already. You don't need to go to that conference. You don't need to have the best preacher. You don't need the God channel on telly. You don't need to get the latest worship stuff. Lead yourself into his presence. Because if you can't do that, then that's fluff. The rest of it is meaningless. What is the purpose of even the best song that can be sung? The, the newest of greatest hill songs or whatever. Or we'll go back and we'll, you know, we'll see those Wesley brothers and we'll say that. Who? Who? Because those songs are just written by men. And if you can't connect that with your relationship with God, you're just in a community choir. Lead yourself. Lead yourself. No one can do it for you. What was impressed on me at the conference, what was pressed home was this, that my job is this, and our job is this, to find the lost and to mature the found. To find the lost and to mature the found. But don't think that I, even I am the guy that can lead you to the presence of God. 
What I can do is I can shake your world a little bit. What I can do is faithfully take what God has placed on my heart and speak that with courage. That's what I can do. But that's the limit. But you need to lead yourself. So all I'm doing is I'm trying to ignite that. To spark that. So you go, hang on a minute. I've been going to church for 20 years and I never knew that I could lead myself into the presence of God. You are your own priest in that respect. Because there's something even better than that. And this is the truth. And please forgive me, I'm going on a little bit longer than normal today. But listen, listen, listen. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. The one who is greater is here and you're his child. All of that greatness is locked up in you. It's there. It's there. All that power that raised Jesus out of that grave, the power that blasted the stone out of the way, that's in you. That's in you. You are kings and queens under the great king almighty, the king of kings. Don't ever let anyone make you settle for less than that. But remember, one who is greater is here. Now here's the thing as I wrap up. Many of us try to survive on the fast food. I, I was a chef when I was younger and I cooked so much and I cooked top end as well. Not that I'm top end, but that's the kind of restaurant that I was in. It was hard. It was pressure. It was fantastic food. It was great food. But I'm sick of it because I've just done it and I've done it and I've done it. And now all I want to do is eat takeaway or let us cook. But that's not really fair. I should cook because I have the know-how. But honestly, I quite happily go to Martin's every day (laughs) because they pretty much do everything anyway. Well, McDonald's, I'd I'd much rather do that, but imagine, I mean, I've put on a stone and a half since I've been in Scotland. Anyway, imagine, imagine if, if I just let it all go and just had takeaway all the time, fast food all the time. Imagine. We try to survive on the fast food. We want it handed to us from sermon to sermon, worship album to worship album, conference to conference, global speaker to global speaker. And you will live, but you won't grow. You will have life, but you will miss the abundance. And so my question to you this morning is this. Are you like Morgan Spurlock? Going from fast food to fast food. Or are you eating well? And in conclusion to this series, his is the kingdom. So stop trying to govern it for yourself. He does it better. One who is greater is here. His is the power. Stop trying to imitate it. Stop trying to chase it and know that if you are in Christ, the power is already in you. You already have fullness in Christ. Don't go around the country. Don't go to the seminars and the conferences trying to find where the power of God is working. It's working in you. 
If you're alive in Christ, it's in you. Don't wait. Just go out. Speak. Speak his word. Speak life. Speak prophetically. Speak words of healing. Go and pray for healing. It's in you. Stop waiting. Stop waiting for the next person. Sometimes God puts special anointings on people. There are prophets. There are people with gifts of healing. But all of that power is also in you. But do it in obedience to what he's saying. Be in relationship with him. One who is greater is here. And his is the glory. Stop trying to steal it. It's his. One who is greater is here forever and ever. One who is greater is here. Let's pray.